Welcome to You Still, a podcast hosted by me, Ella Delancey-Jones. We talk about motherhood, the absolute elation and the surprises, as well as attempting to bridge the gap between who we were before we had our children and who we are now. Don't forget to follow at You Still Podcast on Instagram and Twitter so you don't miss a thing. It's lovely to have you here. Welcome back to the podcast and welcome if it's the first time you're listening. Really happy to have you here. I've really enjoyed recording these episodes the last few weeks. It's it's felt like a different experience this time round. I think because I'm not seasoned, but I have just tried to do things a little bit differently. I have invested a little bit in some new technology so I've got myself my own zoom license if you can believe it and some editing software which has made things a lot easier for me I'm always trying to work smarter and optimize my time and doing that has made the world of difference obviously this is a passion project so to have feedback and to have people asking questions and wanting to get involved just means the absolute world to me it just helps me realize that I'm not actually just shouting into the void I've already got so many people that I want to interview for the next season as well so yeah I'm just so glad that this is something that's going to be ongoing and it's a successful project so yeah just once again thank you so much things are going well here not my much, not much to report on really. As I said last last episode, Polly's now down to one nap, which is just crazy if you think about it. You know, I can't even remember like her being on three naps a day. Like there's so much you remember and then so many other things you remember and think, oh my God, yeah, she did used to do that. I'm, ha- I'm in a bit of a funk to be honest with her growing up so quickly. So obviously you can look back on pictures of your kids as newborns and to me they look like tiny little potatoes. They all look quite similar and it's like oh my god look how tiny she was. But then they start to develop their own personalities and grow up a little bit more. Then suddenly there comes a point where it's only when you start to look back a month, two months that they've changed, their facial structures change, everything about them is developing and growing. I was looking at pictures of her in July, doesn't seem like that long ago. She was a a real baby then and now she's a full-blown toddler. So I'm kind of struggling with not struggling but just grappling with mixed emotions. Every day she's doing something new, every day she's growing and I'm so excited. She's just started mimicking words so you can ask her to say something and she'll do her best to to say it back. But then I'm also, I am looking back and thinking, God, where did that tiny baby go? And reminiscing but also feeling a bit of grief about those times where I was feeling tired and counting down the hours to bedtime when actually the minutes were ticking away of her being that young. So this year I'm just trying to practice a little bit more being more in the moment and enjoying every single bit of her because realistically she's not a baby anymore, she is a toddler. Time keeps slipping by at the rate it's going now. She's going to be at school and I'm going to have all this time back. Yeah so I don't know how is there anything you do in particular to help yourself live in the moment I try not to be on my phone very much especially in front of Polly I know that's really hard especially when you're reading the same book for like the 50th time or I don't know if there's anything I can do to apart from take pictures to look back on is there anything I can do to just be more in the moment and stop looking ahead all the time about what needs what needs to be done what meal needs to be cooked and what we're doing tomorrow and when the naps are and just enjoy her as she is I would love to know. Please do let me know. Anyway, I will stop banging on. Let's get on with the episode. I really hope you enjoy this one. 
So I'm really excited to introduce my next guest, which is my mum. It's something that I've wanted to do for a while. I think literally from the moment that I announced that I was going to do a podcast, she was going, so am I going to be a guest? Am I going to be a guest? (laughs) I said, yeah, in the second season, you can be a guest. So she's finally here. So hello. 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 So her name is Becky. Obviously, she's my mum, but to you, she'll be Becky. It's really exciting to, to have you on. Thank you for coming on. That's okay. Thank you for having me on. I'm very excited. Looking yeah, no forward problems. to it. She was like, I'm kind of nervous. I was like, why? <laughs> Literally me. It's kind of, it's just about having a conversation, isn't it? I think it's quite different when, you, when you've got like an expert on, not to say that you're not an expert in some areas of your life, but like a parenting expert when you've got like set questions that you want answered. But yeah, we'll see how, see how it goes. So I mean, first of all, let's have a quick introduction to kind of like our relationship and kind of how I was about to say how we met. That's such a weird thing. To say. <laughs> gave birth to you. Yeah, it gave birth to me. Yeah. But when did you give birth? So I gave birth to you on the 13th of July 1991 at 10.54 in the evening. 954. So 9.54. I got oh that my wrong, God, how I? do I know that? And you don't know that? I know, sorry. That's awful. 9.54, 9.54 yeah. in the evening. After a very, very stressful labour and birth. So I was induced with you because you were 10 days late. Not that you're late these days, but yeah, you were 10 days late. But I did actually go into early labour with you when I was 24 weeks pregnant, which was on my 21st birthday. So thanks for that. Oh my so. God. I spent my 21st birthday in hospital because they had to stop the contractions. They put me on some tablets. I was in hospital for a week. Then, yeah, and then you were 10 days late. So, yeah. That's crazy because I remember something that that actually I find with a lot of the stories that I've known for, for like a really long time about me, about me as a child about your pregnancy things I kind of just took you know took at face value back then and then now having been through pregnancy and having a baby I'm like wait what what you went into labor 24 weeks you must have been shitting yourself I was completely it was the evening and I started having really strong contractions, rang the doctor. Those were the days when the doctor used to come out, the GP used to come out to you. So rang the doctor who came out and he had his hand on my stomach for maybe 10 minutes and said, we need to get you into hospital because the contractions were, were that strong. So I'd assumed that there were Braxton Hicks, but he said, no, it's too soon really for mm. Braxton Hicks. So, yeah, got taken into hospital. But it was really like we're talking about the time where, like, from you being pregnant and from me being pregnant, there was actually a smoking room for pregnant mums. Can you believe that? There was, I didn't smoke. I didn't smoke. I gave up as soon as I knew I was pregnant with you. Started again within a week of you being born because you were quite a difficult baby (laughs) (laughs) got pictures to prove it as well yeah exactly but yeah there was actually a smoking room anyway then 
yeah, the rest of the pregnancy had to be monitored because at one point they thought you were getting too big for my pelvis because I'm four foot 11 and a half. So I had to have regular scans in the last eight weeks of pregnancy. So every week I had to go for a scan, which was nice, actually, because it was really good to see you growing and to see all the changes week by week. Yeah, yeah. So then I was induced 10 days. So you were due on the 3rd of July. So they took me in for induction on the morning, well, the night before the 13th. I had a pessary. Contraction started quite quickly. Then I had an epidural probably around lunchtime because the contractions were getting really strong anyway by two o'clock I was fully dilated no three o'clock by three o'clock I was fully dilated so I started to push but nothing was happening at all there was just no they couldn't even see your head so kind of fast forward a bit after a few hours they realized that they hadn't turned the oxytocin drip on God. which would have made the contractions obviously help stronger. stronger so they hadn't turned the drip on in the end it, it was all very dramatic it was all very traumatic as well to be perfectly honest with you and even to this day I, I would never never ever forget it there was about suddenly about 20 people in the room I had an episiotomy then the worst of it all as well was that you didn't cry so I didn't hear that cry and I remember thinking oh my god oh my god what like what's happening and nobody would tell me anything and I remember vividly the midwife saying come on sweetheart come on sweetheart breathe breathe and I just thought my baby's dead bear in mind I didn't know whether you're a boy or a girl because in those days we weren't told the sex so I had no idea they did tell me you were a girl then and then I heard you cry and I was so overwhelmed with emotion. And I don't think you stopped crying then until you were about four months old. But yeah, it was all, I was in hospital for a week with you. You were perfectly fine. You were seven pound, 10 ounces. Which, compared to Polly, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Which was a good weight for somebody of my height as well. But bear in mind, your dad's six foot four. So you know, that's probably another reason why. But yeah, it was all, bearing in mind I was 21, I was very overwhelmed by motherhood. And it wasn't like now dads get paternal leave. Your dad was self-employed anyway, or still is. So it was a case of he literally went straight back to work when you were born. I was obviously still in pain from my episiotomy and... Mm. You know, I'm not going to lie, you were you were a difficult baby. You wouldn't feed. You had colic from a week old. So, and not just evening colic, you just sobbed and sobbed practically all day. I couldn't get milk into you. When you were, I think, two weeks old, you were, I was, they were so worried about your weight that you went back into hospital overnight. One difference as well from now to then was that the support from the NHS was remarkable so when I was home when you were three days old 
I not only had the midwife come and visit me every day for a week, I also had the GP come out and check you over actually at home. Mm. And then that relationship, when when the relationship with the midwife ended, I had a really good relationship with my health visitor who was absolutely remarkable. And so, yeah, you went into hospital overnight because you wouldn't feed. I went home, actually, and I feel awful saying that now, but purely to get some rest, Mm. sleep, because I just hadn't slept at all. And I said to them, you need to be aware that she has colic, she screams, she's going to be unsettled. Anyway, typically went in the next morning. How's she been? Oh, she's been absolutely fine. Oh, okay. Thanks for that. Do you know what? That They might have been lying. I hope because, so, because, because it made me feel awful. Not lying, but kind of like, yeah, I doubt that they would come to you and say, your baby has been an absolute nightmare. So maybe well, they, they d- were just... Well, they told told my mum that they put me in a linen cupboard because I was dis- disturbing the baby so much. In the well, 90s, I mean that 90s, was the seventies. <laughs> that was the seventies. It is crazy though that I, I know I know that there's still some support like that in parts of the country. Don't quote me about it, but I think there's some kind of home visits that actually I don't know whether have recommenced since COVID, but. That was something that I really struggled with. We had, obviously, we were in NICU with Polly, but then, and then after that, we had, because we had her her five-day checks in hospital because we were already there. Her 10-day ones, we went to the hospital to get them done. The health visitor came round when she was five weeks old and then was like, right, probably won't see you now until she's about 12 months old, but if you've got any problems, here's my number. And I was like, what? That's crazy. I just felt really like um, cut off from the whole from the system. I mean, luckily, everything was kind of okay. Like I was still crying. I was still super emotional, and I was on the cusp of saying, "Do I need help?" So to be told, like, "See ya." <laughs> it yeah. was just a bit weird. Yeah, I can't believe it. So that's. I mean, that's a massive difference, isn't it? I think the NHS was perhaps a little less overstretched back then than it is mm. now. Definitely. And it was. I felt so supported by my health visitor. I really did. I mean, I don't know whether you remember her. Her name was Jane. But with both you and Jack, <clears throat> that's your brother, by the way. Oh, yeah. It it was just I felt so supported and they would do weekly checks if you needed it. They would she would come out. I'd ring her and say, Jane, I'm really struggling. I mean, I, I know it's an awful thing to say, but. If somebody had come to me when you were six, seven weeks old and said, I'm really sorry, but you've got the wrong baby, I'd have gone, thank goodness for that. Can I have mine then back who who isn't crying and screaming? And so so this is this is quite interesting point to make, because obviously you, you, you're saying that you felt really supported. But but for you to make a statement like that makes me feel like you weren't supported, because I think that the there is a lot more of an awareness now of one like postnatal depression also about things like colic I mean obviously I don't I I haven't had a colic baby and I know I know from that I've heard they are extremely difficult but I do think there is more of a awareness more potential I think there's even like a crying baby helpline so I just wonder whether you and obviously like what you said about dad not having 
paternity leave I mean obviously even in 2022 paternity leave is not good enough Mm. two weeks is not long enough especially if that the parents are spending time in NICU I mean we were obviously really really lucky that Will had bought built up time and then was was freelance so he was like off for five months which was the best thing ever however it was still really really hard Mm. and the two weeks that he did go back to work were the longest two weeks of my life (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I remember yeah so so yeah I think from my I think from my point of view I, bearing in mind that I was only 21 I had this vision in my head that I was supposed to be perfect mm-hmm. that I was supposed to have this perfect baby who didn't cry and I didn't want to show weakness by admitting that I was really struggling and the only break that I used to get was your dad would come home from work and he would have you for an hour or so and he'd take you out in the car when I was watching Brookside for half an hour yeah but even then the separation anxiety from you was really difficult too so it was like pull 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 and then push push it was really it's kind of hard to describe but no it's not it's not it's it's called the paradox of motherhood and I don't get it so much now that Polly's a bit more independent, but it is a paradox of motherhood where you're really, really touched out. You literally want to scream because this child has been screaming at you and there's just so much going on and you can literally not switch off for a second. And you're just thinking, I need a break, I need a break, I need a break. And then as soon as they're away from you, you're so anxious that you want them near you. You miss them. You just want them back with you, right? It's the same as like, as soon as they go to bed, I'm looking at pictures of of Polly. But yeah, it's just the paradox, isn't it? I, I say like, I don't have it so much anymore. But when it used to really bother me when I don't, I don't want to, don't even know who, but I like, would say, oh, like, oh, I'll give you a break from Polly. You, you go off and do this. And I'd be like, I can't. Do you remember when me and Will first went to the cinema? And yes. So to give context, the cinema, we've got an Odeon Lux, literally a five minute walk away from our house. And mum had come over in the day and we went to see like an afternoon viewing. I think it was Spider-Man or something, the new Spider-Man movie. And I, it was the first time I'd ever walked out of the house without Polly. And I think she was probably a good, maybe two, three months old, maybe. I think she was about three months. Yeah. Yeah. Bearing in mind, I was only leaving for three hours, but obviously was feeding on demand. And I just remember leaving the house and just buzzing 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 with anxiety and just going to the toilet halfway through the film like to try and calm down because I was so anxious to be away from her and remember I just remember thinking is this my life now like is it am I always going to feel this way if I'm not with her but I think as as you get more I was going to say entrenched into motherhood that sounds really like negative <laughs> as you ease more into motherhood I think that ease like obviously I still worry all the time even when like with Polly's at nursery I'm always thinking of her I'm never not thinking of her I'm thinking of her right now and she's literally in the room behind me I, I think maybe you would agree that that just never goes away even when like never you're 30 right <laughs> no never never ever goes away ever so what was your your antenatal experience so obviously you had the the medical issues at 24 weeks but when you first fell pregnant what was your experience of like support did you go to any baby groups as in antenatal ones what was that like for you yeah so when I was first pregnant I had in fact again with you I was I was having a lot of pains when I was eight weeks so I had a scan at eight weeks but everything was fine it was just the stretching of the ligaments 
then I had a meeting with my GP to go through history and all that kind of thing. I went to antenatal groups where, you know, they showed you how to birth, birth, not birth the baby, birth the baby and things like that. I met a person there who was having a baby the same time, sort of time as me. So her baby was due a month earlier. I don't remember an awful lot. There was never any pushing for breastfeeding. It was not a big thing. It was more like showing you, telling you how to do, make bottles up and things like that. And don't get me wrong, that kind of breast is best has always been there. But it wasn't as kind of important, shall we say. And I always thought, well, yeah, I'll give it a go. Um, there was never any doubt in my mind that I that I wouldn't give it a go. But the difference is I went out and bought bottles, probably knowing that I wouldn't continue because that was the whole kind of era of, oh, no, it's just much easier to to bottle feed so I'd bought bottles and then after you were born so literally I'd like just given birth to you and then within <clears throat> 10 minutes of getting to bed you were wheeled to me screaming and they still think she wants to I think she's hungry so tried to latch you on literally the midwife latched you on and disappeared mm. and it was like oh my god so it was like what 11 o'clock at night and I was like, what do I do? I don't know what to do with this baby who is screaming, who is struggling to get back on. And I don't know how to do this. Mm. Um, anyway, a nurse came along then with a bottle of formula. Oh. Yeah, didn't try and help me latch you back on. So you had a bottle and then they took you back to the nursery. And it was kind of the same for the next few days that I was in hospital with you. There was no help with breastfeeding there was no kind of confidence boosting or kind of yeah you can do this you can do this come on let's let's give it one more try I mean you know they they were busy they were busy but and I did manage to feed you a bit which kind of made me feel glad that at least you'd had some colostrum but looking back now I wish I'd had the chance to have that support and that help and even when I got back got home and the midwife came out she didn't push the breastfeeding at all there was no kind of do you want to try again should I sit with you for half an hour shall we do, try this why don't you sit with your cushion there there was none of that at all so but at the time, I didn't question it because I just thought, well, it's normality. It's kind of because nobody I knew breastfed. So it's so different to nowadays. And then there was the kind of when your brother was born, there was the whole because he was a greedy little so-and-so. <laughs> He'd sink a nine-ounce bottle easy within literally three months of being three months old. So they kind of pushed the hungry baby formula as well mm. um but then it turned out that he he had to have soya milk in the end anyway because he was having problems with allergies so yeah it's very different from the 90s now which is a really really good thing 
I think. And I'm so proud of you for having been able to breastfeed Polly and carrying on for so long. And I know how important it's become to you to be able to feed her. So, yeah, I'm really proud of you. Thank you very much. I actually did see a stat the other day that I was like, oh, okay. For children that are breastfed post-infancy and they term infancy as post one Mm -hmm. is less than one percent of mothers in the UK and 55 percent of mothers globally so I read that and I was like oh wow um but just going back to what you said about it being different I would agree and disagree to be honest I think that the the emphasis is definitely on breastfeeding maybe more than it was in the 90s mm-hmm. as in they ask you if you're going to do it and they kind of well from what I've heard from other people is that they kind of frown upon you if you say you're not going to or you choose not to or you know obviously some people can't breastfeed the the emphasis is on breastfeeding and breast is best however the support that you mentioned is still not there mm-hmm. so I obviously it was like the worst experience ever and I don't wish a stay in NICU on anyone but I really do believe that the only reason why we established breastfeeding as well as we did and the reason why we we continued is because of that stay in NICU because these nurses were around all the time they had the time to sit with me and sit with Polly and as you say like help me with position help me latch check it am I doing this right how much is she getting blah 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 and obviously, because she did have a bit of formula to get rid of her jaundice, they helped me ease out of the, um, they call it a top-up trap, right? So you're topping up with formula, so the baby's wanting more milk, but then they're not getting enough at the breast because they're taking the formula, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so they helped me get out of that. But when I was in the postnatal ward, it was very similar to you. So they were like, are you breast? Are you going to breastfeed? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to try. And they were like, wow, yeah, massive. Congratulations. So the support was there, but the actual support wasn't. So very, very similar to you. This midwife came around and literally or maybe part of the infant feeding team and then literally plonked Polly on me and just almost like, I hate saying it, like, Ugh but like milked me and like put my boob in her mouth and was like great and then just went and I was Mm. like okay and she didn't come back and then obviously there's two things that I didn't know I didn't know that one that is a tick on their list I think it's I think it's we've got like a stat sheet and it says it's like a percentage of mothers established breastfeeding before leaving postnatal so if, if they can get them to latch and they can they can establish like at least a few feeds or establish a latch, then that, that goes down as a yes. And also like that there's something that I didn't realize was available. Like I didn't know that I could request to speak to the infant feeding team. I didn't know that I could ask and say, hang on, I need help with this. Mm-hmm. And then this is something we're going to move on to in a minute, just about the different differences in the world now. But the only reason, again, why I was able to continue with my journey is because of social media. Because yes. in the middle of the night, when I was crying and I had what I thought was mastitis, but I think ended up being a blocked duct, I could only discern what that was through amazing, amazing, amazing like support accounts like Catherine Stagg helped me so much olivia lactation consultant helped me so much massive shout out because otherwise there was no support i think i rang the breastfeeding helpline like 
once or twice. I don't know whether that was even a thing in the 90s. Absolutely not. But other than that, when I saw a professional, they were like, again, it was kind of like tick box, like, are you still feeding? Yes. Cool. Like, but even when, but then I I kind of got the impression that if I'd said, actually, no, we stopped breastfeeding and now we're on formula, like I would, I don't know what their reaction would be. Mm. Intrigued to find out from somebody else, to be honest. But just in terms of like technology, obviously, I was I grew grew up on the cusp of the modern world and like the olden times, I guess you would say. So like wired phones, no internet, and obviously grew up in that time. And then now we've got like the internet and apps and social media, and obviously I tracked everything from the moment Polly was born until she was a year old which really really helped me in those early days obviously when I was pregnant with Polly I was looking at oh what size is she this week Mm -hmm. that was all bullshit anyway because she was tiny so it wasn't even (laughs) but obviously but then I know you had your pregnancy books right so I'd be intrigued to know what you think of the completely differing worlds that we've got now like how somebody's experience of being pregnant in the 90s versus now would be and yeah whether you think that it would be it's more more advantageous to be pregnant now than back then I don't know I think in some ways I am a bit like envious if that's the right word Mm. of everything that is available now I mean because there was no kind of support outside your immediate network there was no like for example I I was 21 none of my friends had had babies so they were all still going out clubbing and you know dating and all that kind of thing I had one rocker chair for you which I used to put on my legs to bounce you there was no so steam steriliser I had you just look back and think my god there is so much more available Mm. and now I think for 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 parents I think it's amazing that you've got that social media presence that you can suddenly at at two o'clock in the morning go oh my god is this normal is this Mm -hmm. right is this okay and yeah you might get the the ones where it's just like oh do you know what I'm just gonna ignore that advice or but I just think the technology is astounding and even some of the things that you've had for Polly have like the I mean the the baby monitor like when I looked after Polly for you or when I've looked after Polly being able to see her there is amazing and we had nothing like that we had baby monitors but they were like (laughs) and and it wasn't great because I remember but, you said, sorry, I was going to say, I remember because you said, oh, do you go in and check on her? And I was like, no, because I, I was like, why I would I? I can see her. I can see her breathing on that HD camera. Why would yeah. I? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was just like amazing. And actually, I called it Poly TV. So I'd be like, right, what you, I'm going to do now? I'm just going to watch some Poly TV. So mm-hmm. I was fascinated, fascinated, absolutely fascinated. And to be able to kind of be there the second you know that she's disturbed. But yeah, I just think it's, I think it's brilliant for parents nowadays that they've got access to all of that. But obviously, I can't give my opinion on on that being a parent. 
Well, but, but being a grandparent, I just think it's fantastic. And I didn't know any any different. And it was the same for when I had Jack. It was exactly the same because nothing had changed in those two and a half years. Nothing had changed at all. But the difference was when I had Jack, I met somebody in the postnatal clinic who had a baby boy this, the day before I'd had Jack. And can I just emphasise now, Jack's birth was like shelling peas, as the consultant told me it would be. So yeah, giving birth to Jack was a, was amazing, totally different. But yeah, I met this friend and we're still friends now, 29 years on. Mm. So that I had that connection. I had that connection. So I could ring her and say, oh my God, he's doing this. Do you think that's okay? And I still had the same health visitor. I was diagnosed with postnatal depression when Jack was five months old. Um, and looking back, I probably had it when I was with when I when you were little, when you were tiny. Mm-hmm. But I was too proud to say, do you know what? I'm holding my hand up here. I really need help. Because I didn't know at that point what was normal and what mm-hmm. wasn't normal. Because it was my experience of motherhood. But this is a thing as well that, that I think I think still even 30 years on needs a bit more of um, what is normal. Because if you read NHS guidelines and you Google like what baby blues or postnatal depression, it comes up and says, I think it says like, oh, you know, hormonal changes, blah, 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 can last up to, up to two weeks. I don't want to quote it. I think it says up to two weeks after that your baby's born. If anything goes on longer than that, then it might ne- you might need to like look for some help. And I cried nonstop after Polly was born, I think for like nine weeks. But I don't feel like I had postnatal depression. But because I was still crying, especially a month in and feeling like really overwhelmed and like, am I am I a good mom and that kind of thing? And I was just so bloody tired. Mm. It got me thinking, well, is this normal? Do I need help? I don't feel like I need help. I just feel like I just need to get used to my whole this whole mental impact of having a child that's blown my whole world apart. Mm. But yeah, there's obviously different facets of normal because obviously I've had depression before, so I kind of knew what to look out for. So obviously it's diff- what's normal to some people is not normal to others. And yeah, I wasn't sad. I was just really bloody overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but... and nothing nothing can prepare you for that absolutely no. nothing can prepare you for that no. somebody can say to you <clears throat> oh you're going to be shattered you're going to be like feeling like you're living and and like you there are points where I thought oh my god is this it is this my life now mm-hmm. is this my life now Jack was a much easier baby but having two children again is different to having one child mm. you you were a brilliant toddler you're amazing but Jack had his health issues so mm-hmm. he was forever having ear infections throat infections asthma blue lighted into hospital with asthma so he came with his, his own kind of challenges really and also having you who I had to get to play group I didn't want you to wake up if he woke up when he woke crying in the night so he ended up coming and co-sleeping with me and your dad for the first practically four years of his life but you look back now and it was the easiest thing at the time because I didn't want to disturb you knowing you had to go to play group or whatever um 
and he he settled you know but again going to co-sleeping there was no guidance there See, was this is, no this is going to be my next question because I've literally just had a guest on the respectful mum on Instagram if you're interested to do an episode about co-sleeping slash bed sharing and basically the crux of the episode is that co-sleeping is still kind of so in some places seen as quite taboo in this country and we did mm-hmm. actually mention the back to sleep campaign of the 90s right so before yeah. that children were put to sleep in a prone position on their front mm-hmm. and then there was the whole back to sleep campaign because they realized that actually you probably shouldn't do that with a newborn because they can't fucking move themselves yeah um well, that was the year you were born because right. diamond's baby died of cot death mm-hmm. so that was you you were about the same age I guess so yeah they had that big back back to sleep campaign but you know in the in the day you had a cot bumper you had a quilt you had stuffed toys in your in your cot because there was never any no it was just no nobody knew nobody knew so it was so different see this is something that I've had experience of hearing is that people of a certain generation and not just to do with sleeping but also with like weaning and just everything to do with children that could potentially harm or kill them they have an attitude of well it was fine when you were growing up it's very much usually grandparents that I hear about that say that try to like gift cot bumpers or say oh why can't he have a rust in his bottle or (laughs) literally cheese and potato pie when he was like three minutes out of the womb or something like because it was fine when we grew up but then obviously our attitude now is that we do know so much better and maybe a certain generation think that we are over what we're looking for over cautious but it's like just because I kind of almost want to say to people like well congratulations you got away with your child not dying but I don't want to risk it with mine yeah Um, yeah but then it's like with with the smoking, I'm sure you don't mind me saying, but there are pictures of, you know, you holding me as a child. I think it was my first birthday. It was your first birthday. And I know yeah. your arms and you've got a cigarette. And it's like, yeah. I will if I see someone walking down the street with a cigarette now, I'll cross the road because I don't want it to blow back into Polly's mouth. Like, why should she have to breathe that kind of air? And obviously now, 30 years on, we do know that there's a direct link to, you know, cancer even with passive smoke right yeah yeah so it's just crazy that the the differences yeah guidelines and and safety and and also just obviously I'm not really I'm not a formula mum but to me it makes perfect sense to me to make up the formula in advance and just put it in the fridge because Mm -hmm. who's got time for that but I hear that you're not allowed to do that but you did that right I did that all the time yeah Yeah. make up make up bottles and just leave them in the fridge and take them out as and when that was, yeah. that was it and also you know it was all with you it was like boil, boil the kettle and then put it boiling water and then do it like that by the time Jack was it was like microwave can you imagine <laughs> doesn't matter if it's scalding oh, yeah, it's in fine, the middle it's, it's all right fine. I've, right, I've got a second it. kid anyway yeah hell. exactly but he's just a backup <laughs> as I said I do think that some people maybe think that we we are being overcautious but like, See, I, don't risk think, it? I don't think so I, I no. don't think so at all I think with everything that we know nowadays to do with weaning and I mean god when you were like literally they used to say six weeks old baby what? rice yeah what? baby rice six weeks old my stepmother actually put 
baby rice in Jack's bottle when he was about four weeks old. Still something that's that is still practiced, but which usually comes from a relative saying, yeah. If you do that, it will make them sleep longer. Sleep longer, which yeah. is it is just dangerous. It doesn't. No. Work. It doesn't work. No, definitely not. Not that I did it, but no. I've heard. But no, I I I think it's amazing, and you know that when I look after Polly, that I respect everything that you ask of me, and I would never kind of go against something that that I know is really important to you and Will. So, I think she is growing up to be a funny mischievous cheeky beautiful little girl and I'm just like so in love it's incredible well that was going to be my next question which is what's it like being a nan obviously now she's here but obviously the the beginning of finding out that I was pregnant and your baby being pregnant and then kind of the stress we went through and yeah up till up till now when she's just this amazing little little creature yeah well it was just I mean I was at work when you rang me and because I think you weren't expecting to get pregnant quite so quickly no I wasn't you rang me and you were sobbing and I was with the family and I was like oh my god what's happened what's happened what's happened I was just like oh my god calm down calm down I was just thinking the worst thinking oh my god something's happened to Will or something terrible has happened and you went I'm pregnant (laughs) and I was like why are you crying because I don't know because I didn't expect to be pregnant hang on a minute and I actually said to you you do know what happens don't you right you do actually know what happens you, yeah. do how, you don't know how to make, make a baby. But yeah, I was absolutely over the moon. And that first 12 weeks was the hardest, really, really hard. After that, obviously, watching you kind of watching you grow and you kept me so involved with the pregnancy mm. that I was so grateful for that all the way through I had knitted since I was about eight and I started in a blanket I found it yesterday it's about that big like oh, two inches. So that's postage then... stamp size she's showing me <laughs> yeah and then like getting your shawl out that my auntie knitted when you were born oh, um, I love that yeah and all the it was just so exciting but it was still really surreal and then obviously we had your your baby shower and there's photos of me and you with me putting my hand on your bump and knowing that she was a baby girl and it was just and then obviously literally the following day Mm. you messaged me to say that you were worried because there hadn't been very much movement and then it was just like kind of panic stations wasn't it for the rest of the pregnancy yeah five weeks of just dread panic anxiety and yeah just shit to be honest just panic and stress but I'm really grateful that you were there for that as well and obviously you came to visit me in hospital when I stayed antenatally and you were quite unwavering and like positivity which at times was quite because I'm quite a pessimist so at times was a bit like not are you yeah well it was quite like well what if it's not okay do you know what I mean like but you were very very positive and obviously I'm glad that you that you were you both you and Will were really positive well everyone was to be honest but yeah I mean and then she arrived yeah she what arrived. was it like waiting obviously oh my I god I went into was... labor I started well no I was induced at 12 I started contracting at 2 p.m 
and she was born the following day at 4 p.m. So I was yeah. in labor for like 26 hours. Oh, God, it, well, was, it, I, it was really hard, really hard, because literally I the last photo I've got of you was after you'd had the epidural and you looked really relaxed and calm. And then literally, and even your, your dad was phoning me saying, have you heard any more? And I was just like, no, I haven't heard any more. If I hear any more, then I'll let you know. And then when she was born, Will sent, Will rang actually and said, you've got a granddaughter. And I was just, I remember crying and crying and then seeing pictures Oh my God, she was just actually looked so tiny. And I remember the first time I spoke to you, you said, Mum, she's so tiny. And then when I came to see you, oh, she was just like a. And I remember you, you, Will made me a cup of tea and you were like, Mum, don't hold that by baby. Don't hold that by Polly. I'm just, no, I know. I know. Yeah. But it was also like, it, oh my god she was such a little dot but she really was. even compared to like the other babies in postnatal they looked so massive they looked like three months old compared to her because she was so small yeah For anyone that doesn't know the story or what Polly was four four pound ten when she was born but then as she's grown <clears throat> the bond that I've got with her has just grown and grown and grown and I love the fact that you know we FaceTime practically every day and she gets really excited when she sees me and I was so honoured when you asked me to look after her when you went to New York I know how nervous you were I've got to say at one point I did think you'd say I'm not going yeah I think I that, really do you know what I said to Will the other day you know obviously how poorly she was with her jabs I had actually booked her jabs for that week. I'd booked them for the Monday and we were due to go on the Thursday morning. I remember. I think cold. No, but her her really poorly legs, right? And yeah. I think that if if I hadn't moved them to the week after, I mean, the week we got back, I don't think I'd have gone because she mm. was in such pain and so upset after her jabs, I probably wouldn't have gone or I would have sent, I would have sent Will on and I wouldn't have gone. But yeah, it was very, very close, especially when I was in the airport queue crying and they thought Will was like trying to like illegally take me out of the country <laughs> or something. Yeah, they were a bit like, you okay, hon? Because like you're streaming with tears Aww. in the queue to fly away. But yeah. But yeah. no, she was an absolute delight. And I was so thankful for that time I got with her and the bond and just like... She's just incredible. And the love that everyone used to say to me, oh, it's really different when you're a nana, you know, you, you, the love you feel is different, but it really is. It really is. It totally overwhelms me. And I think because as well, I'm not responsible 24-7. You can give her back. I can give her back and I know I can give her back. Yet the the kind of bond that we have and the fact that she's just starting to say Nana just gives me butterflies and it makes my heart sore. She's it just really... so funny. She's hilarious. She's so funny. She, it's just every day now she's just doing something new. Like she was doing something new anyway every, all the time. But like she's just every day I'm like, God, like she's yeah. literally growing up before my eyes. And she's just so funny. She's just developing her own little character and just really proud of her. Yeah, she's incredible. She really is. 
and that she really is a credit to you and Will. She's just a credit to you and Will. And obviously she's got really good genes as well. Obviously. Obviously. Well, thank you, Nana, for coming on to You Still. I really appreciate it. I hope this episode is useful for some and, yeah, gives you a little insight into my life and my relationship with my mum. And, yeah, thank you for thank you for being here. No, thank you very much for having me. Well, I'm going to go and wake up now from her nap that she fought for over an hour. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Love you. Bye. Thank you for joining me for this episode of You Still. You can join the community and keep up to date with all new episodes by following at You Still Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to get in touch to tell me how I'm doing, suggest new guests, or let me know which topics you'd like me to cover, email youstillpodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you.